0: welcome back everybody to the Parrot kings podcast as always i'm saul thompson you can find me on instagram at saul thompson i'm joined this
1: week by my first and foremost wonderful co-host michael smith you can find me on instagram at, at underscore Instagram. and without further ado uh we've got
0: somebody who i'm very excited to speak with on the podcast today um, if you are not aware of who he is, one of the most important people in the realm of sort of vintage jeans, uh, vintage Levi's especially, uh, but not just limited to that. Um, it's incredibly exciting, uh, recently sort of uh, featured in a Vice documentary or a Vice short, I don't know what they call it. But without further ado on that that introduction, I should say, uh, it's none other than Britt Eaton. You can find him on
2: Instagram at OriginalIndianaJeans. How are you, Britt? Yeah, I'm great. Can you hear me okay? By the way, I mean, I'm 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 sort of on a on a really bad, um, you know, satellite signal feed. I I live in the boondocks, and I've got like a literally have like an old school dish kind of a thing on my roof. <laughs> you're
0: you're coming through yeah, loud and yep. clear.
2: We've got you perfectly. Awesome. <laughs> well, hello, Michael. Hey, hello, Saul. How you guys doing? Doing well. Can't complain. Doing good. Yeah. How are you?
0: What have you been what have you been up to recently? I've seen you've become, I guess, recently pretty reactive or active again on uh your other account where you sell a lot of vintage denim. Um, and you're also organizing, I forgot to mention, a huge vintage denim festival that's out in Colorado. Um, supposed to be, I think, one of the biggest of its kind. Um, that's also really exciting. Uh, we'll definitely be touching on that. But yeah, how is how has that been going? What have you been up to? You know what's what's going on?
2: Wow! Yeah, we'll jump right in, I guess. Um, uh, you know I've been great. I've been traveling like crazy this summer. I've been up in Montana a lot. I've got a cabin that I've had for 20 years on the Yellowstone River, right north of Yellowstone Park. And I don't know if you guys follow the news much about it, but there was the historic flood of all floods, a, a 500 year flood that happened. And I was actually up there when it happened, and my cabin was like. Featured on the news with helicopters going around and everything. I wasn't in the cabin at the time. It was actually rented as if the vacation house. And, um, you know, the water level kept rising and the tenants kept calling the property manager. I'm like, oh, we want to stay. We want to stay. And finally, she's like, you got to get the hell out of here. You know, so it was crazy. I had like, I have a shed on the property that had like literally like a thousand pairs of jeans that I got in this. A- gigantic greatest estate of all time a couple years ago i stored them in the shed i thought the shed was so far back from the river there's no way that shed would ever get flooded even if there was a 500 year flood and yet you know everything got wet so you, you might have seen some of those videos and pictures but it's like you know it basically became like a uh like denim across the whole hillside kind of a scenario and Whoa. so the last couple months i've been Dealing with the flood fallout and and uh, and then cleaning all these clothes and a lot of them just went down the river. So you know, if you're in Billings, Montana, throw a fishing freaking lure in, you might come up with some <laughs> pair of vintage <anxious> Levi's. <laughs> but I'm really not joking, honestly. I mean, I mean, the Yellowstone and- River is the long, the longest, the longest undammed river in America. Believe it or not, mm. you'll find it's some well-aged Levi's. <laughs> there's some well-aged Levi's, maybe get a fish too yeah, yeah. So, literally, you have stonewashed. Nice. So then, um, yeah, so I have my two Instagrams. I've got, well, three, really. I got the original Indiana jeans. That's sort of the personal one mm-hmm. for my life and adventures and, and everything. Um, And then I've got Carpe Denim Sales, which is where I sell things. It's a mm-hmm. private account. And I started that during COVID. And honestly, it's the only business I really have to do in the vintage clothing realm. I have some other business stuff I do other than vintage clothing, but for the vintage thing that that's sort of, you know, I mean the the way my business has been is is always been working with like designers and movies and stuff. But, Mm -hmm. you know, the designers can now use a picture and get, you know, basically get what they need off a picture. So, um, you you know, they don't need to rent my jeans or or buy my jeans as much. So now they just, you know, download pictures off Instagram. Everybody gives it away for free, basically. So, you know, the, the business now is more um, selling to people that just love wearing it or collectors. And the carpet denim sales has been a phenomenal. Like, you know, you can't beat them, join them, right? And Instagram's yeah. an unbelievable outlet for anybody, really. And that's the great thing about the vintage clothing business, honestly, is that you don't need any kind of degree or anything like that. Mm-hmm. You, anybody can do it. Anybody can make money, either a part-time money or full-time money, whatever. You just have to, like... You know, I guess, you know, be friendly and and, and somewhat knowledgeable and able to do some research and also not be afraid to sort stuff, you know? Yeah. So
0: you didn't start out originally selling jeans. You started, as I understand it, flipping Harley Davidson's, right? Uh, Exporting them uh, to the UK or Europe as a whole from the US, right?
2: Oh, yeah. Um, I've always said uh, that my career has been like a meandering river. And I'm just going to, like, go with the fucking flow. You know, what I was, can I swear on here?
0: Yeah,
1: absolutely. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. I
2: Sorry. <laughs> Finally see Michael laugh and smile over there. I, I, he likes the swearing part of the whole
1: interview. <laughs> I'm just, I'm honestly just here here to here to listen to the swear words. I'm, I have no questions. I just yeah. want to hear you say. Yeah, fuck. that's right.
2: You just check out and then you pop in when there's a swear word.
1: <laughs> yeah. It.
2: Anyway, so, yeah, so it's like, I just, I'm just like a freaking log, man. I mean. It, I'll. I do want to. I'll tell you all about that. But because you asked me about the Festivus thing, I want to go back to that if I could. Oh, for sure. Just because I don't want to yeah. forget. Because. Um. So, essentially, the impetus for the Festivus was. I think impetus might be the right word. Is um. I. I I'm building a twelve thousand square foot warehouse. It's freaking insane. You can see this thing from space probably. It's this big giant building. It's. I mean, it's just it's just it's just insane. It's like a copper colored roof, like literally like a it's called copper penny he's the roof and i was on a plane the other day and i could see it so clearly from Holy like a mile cow. up in the air nice. no joke when i was flying over i was flying to la the other day and anyway so i built this huge warehouse for all of my stuff basically i'm such a hoarder that as soon as i finish building a warehouse uh i get it so full i got to start building the next warehouse so this is <laughs> where every time i build a warehouse I, I now have 10 warehouses and every time i build one. It becomes the next one's even bigger than I built, and then the next one's even bigger. But this one, this is the one. This is it. Like if I fill this warehouse up, I'm going to put a bullet in my head, and, and I'm, not, I'm done. With it.
1: And also, I don't like, know, man. The,
2: truth, the truth, the truth is, the truth of the story is, is that this warehouse, the stress of building this thing, that's why I've got the gray in my eyebrows uh, and and in my beard. Like I, I'm basically going gray because it's the project. Like. I don't know if you guys know about building costs, but, you know, we estimated about half a million dollars to build this. And it's now up to about a million dollars to build this thing. Oh, God. So, building costs have gone like I'm literally building basically the only giant building that I've ever built from scratch uh, that I ever will build, probably. And I'm also doing it at the all time history, historic time when building costs are the highest they've ever been in history. So that's my luck right there. You know? yeah. but, but vintage clothing is also at an all-time high. And in fact, yeah. I was talking to this mentor of mine who's been doing vintage since the 70s. He's really the old old dog in the whole thing. His name is Larry, and his company is uh, Heller's Cafe out of Seattle, Washington. And I was talking to him in January. I said, hey, Larry. I said, Larry, do you just sit around all day crying about all the stuff you sold too cheap 20 years ago? And he goes... No, Britt, I sit around crying all day about the stuff I sold too cheap last month. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's true. I mean, they, 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 as soon as you sell something, you're like, what the hell did I just sell that for? It's already gone up 20% yeah. over the last, Yeah. you know. I, I just talked to a guy today who's at some like Brimfield kind of a show back in Mass right now. And he's a vintage dealer. And he told me that on the way to the show, somebody had put flyers up for like 50 miles in every direction it said i buy vintage clothing i have a booth come see me at my basically the person isn't even selling vintage clothing at the show they have a tent just to buy so they got you know i don't know 50 100 grand in their pocket and uh you know they're they're just this guy i should just read you the text from the guy it just says dude you you know we didn't believe what's going on here on the east coast in vintage clothing he just sent me this just now
1: with the uh,
2: anyway, the giant so, warehouse. So I'm building the giant yeah.
1: warehouse.
2: Are there like yeah? Thank you. Are there like I'm a very? I'll tell you, I did it I did a TV. Wait, what? <laughs> Sorry. Do you
1: have to like like? Are there like storage? Like you're you're keeping all of this vintage clothing? Do you have to like like climate control that entire building? Or is there no. like
2: no? I, I, you know, I'm very lucky. Yeah. We have a great climate here in Southern Colorado. It's like 300 days of sunshine a year. It's awesome. Hmm. But it's funny, Michael. And you said warehouse. I thought you were trying to get me back on track. <laughs> oh, I, know. Like I didn't. I'm sorry. I didn't know you were asking a new question. I thought you were trying to get me back on track. To no, the, man, just the go. original question. <laughs> so I did a I did a TV thing with Jeff Goldblum on his show called uh, "The World According to Jeff Goldblum." That was about three years ago now, and we got along you know, famously. And uh, when I before I met him, all the producers and everything took me aside. They're like, "Hey, man, you never met Jeff." Yep, before and I said no I never have and they said listen we re- he's really erratic and he, he gets off track a lot it's your job as the co-host on this segment to keep him on track and I just started <laughs> laughing oh dude you're getting the wrong guy <laughs> I'm, I'm never on this I can't keep myself on track how the hell am I yeah. gonna keep him on track you know this this podcast anyway, is so pretty much the same Big warehouse yeah just I'll get two one fish. Big warehouse, no do you giant warehouse. Uh, I was gonna have a huge, I was gonna have a huge, like a grand opening sale, basically. And mm-hmm. my friend came down in May and he's like, Hey dude, can I sell some stuff too? And I'm like, Yeah, sure. And then I started thinking about it, I'm like, you know what? Why don't I have all my friends come sell stuff? And then it kind of spiraled out of control. And next thing you know, it's like this woodstock situation where all these people are saying they're coming and everything. And I'm like, holy shit, I can't do this at this new warehouse. It's not even finished yet. I don't even have water. I don't even have electricity. Like, it's going to be freaking fire festival kind of a deal, you know? <laughs> so I'm like, that sucks. So so I went to the uh, – my neighbors have this incredible venue. And this was like, oh. So I went and asked them if I could do the, do the show at their venue. And they said, sure. And they've got all the infrastructure. And that took, like – like, literally, I'm not joking. I had a stress drink for three days when this thing started blowing up and all these people from all over the world say they're coming I've get this movie premiere and this auction going on and all the shit, five bands. I got all these people that bands that are like, Hey, we want to come play your thing. I'm like, okay. So I agreed to everything. And I'm the kind of guy that if I say, I'm going to do something, I do it. Like that's, that's it. Like I give you my word on something, or even if I stupidly say something like the reason I have the new warehouse is I told this guy verbally he gave me a verbal offer one day randomly at a bar on my old warehouse, and I said, "Yeah, I'll take that offer." No, I, he said, "How much would you sell it for?" And I told him, and he goes, "I'll do it." And he's, I'm, I would go, "Really?" And I went home and told my wife, and she basically was like, "You're the dumbest person I've ever met in my life." <laughs> I had given the guy my, I, I told the guy the price, and he he he, he, he came up with my price, so I, was, I wasn't gonna change my mind, you know. Yeah. Anyway, that's yeah. it. Coffee's kicking in.
1: <laughs> Here we
2: fucking go.
0: So uh, I asked I asked earlier how, so you you started your career, maybe we don't have to go completely into it, but you started your career exporting Harley-Davidson's. Did that inform sort of like your eye for fashion as it were? You were, you know, were jeans sort of a part of that culture that then you got into by being into motorcycles or was it just something else that you saw and you said, hey, this is interesting. Let me see, you know, what this is about.
2: Um. Yeah, so I would say... I started out my career trying to do anything in order to pay in order to travel the world. Mm -hmm. So I got, you know, picked up selling swatch watches Mm -hmm. on the streets of Italy by the Italian FBI because I was going to Italy and I heard that you could, uh, they had an embargo with uh, Switzerland at the time. So like swatch watches were selling for like a thousand bucks a piece. And there was a line around the corner at every swatch store. So, you know, bottom line is I did all these different businesses in order to just afford to travel. And I I ended up going to 75 countries and a lot of – I made money while traveling in a lot of those countries. I just love travel. Like I'm a traveler. So the Harley Mm -hmm. thing was just because – actually, yeah, I started doing the Harley thing because um, I was friends with these Norwegian guys. And they told me you could sell used Harley Davidsons over there for a lot. So I I basically taught myself how to ride. I didn't grow up – like my dad wasn't like a freaking Hell's Angel or something. So, you know, I had to taught myself how to ride a motorcycle. I literally went to the library and got a book, How to Ride a Motorcycle. I didn't know anybody <laughs> that had a motorcycle. I swear to God. That's a true story. I went to the Princeton Library.
0: Outside or anything, you weren't able to like Google how to ride a motorcycle?
2: Dude, dude. This is uh this is nineteen ninety buddy. Uh, you know, I don't know when YouTube started, but it's certainly not in the dark ages over there, you know. Uh, no. There was nothing. So that was it, man. I mean, you wanted information. The library was YouTube. The library Mm was the World Wide Web, you know? So, you know, I mean, you guys are growing up in such a lucky time because, you know, 20 years from now, look what you're doing right now. We're documenting something and you guys will have this. Like, I mean, I don't have hardly any pictures of any of my youth. I mean, like, it's like a miracle when somebody from college or something's like, oh, my God, I found a picture. Like, oh, a picture. Like one picture, you know, all people do anymore is walk around taking pictures of the freaking self all day long, as far as I can tell, you know. Um, And so, I mean, they have a lot of pictures, you know, but we didn't have that back in the dark ages.
1: (laughs) I think we sort of overshot to like, we're over documenting at this point.
2: I've got too many pictures. Right, 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 right. Yeah, that's that's very true. I mean, how, like every day I basically have to like exterminate 500 pictures from my phone, but that's of uh, stuff that I'm, I'm using my phone for selling. I mean, that's, that's another thing though. The, the sad part is, is that it's really, you have to consciously check out now. Like, like oh God, I got to put my phone down. Like, I got to get off of it. I got to leave it alone for a couple hours, you know, because of this terrible addiction that we all have that, you know, nobody in, in world history had to deal with this exact addiction. Now it's a first world problem not third world problems you know anyway so yeah so i started exporting harleys um i I, well the first time i did it wasn't really to like export harleys i just wanted to ride a motorcycle around uh europe and and then have my travel paid for by selling it and i ended up making 100 percent return so i thought that was pretty cool but i learned a lot as i was doing it um about you know the kind of motorcycles to bring and what sells and this and that so the idea was that you could bring historic ones. The ones that were thirty years old were sort of they weren't um they weren't subject to a luxury tax. They were called a classic and there was no there was no extra tax on them. they were just like an import tax, but not a heavier duty, but never not heavier duty. I never really thought about that. You know, the word heavy duty, right? Comes from duty, which is a tax, right? A duty. Yeah. Yeah. Think about that. Yeah. I never thought about it. Anyway. So, so yeah, so then the Harley thing was, uh, you know, basically I I was a drinker and I got drunk. I fell down a well, broke my ribs. I couldn't kickstart these old Harleys anymore. They were all kickstart 60s uh, shovelheads and panhead um, Harleys. I think they were all panheads, actually. And um, so, so I was like, this sucks and you don't have to kickstart a freaking pair of Levi's. So I'm like, all right, I'll do Levi's now. <laughs> 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 That's a pretty good transition. Yeah. 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 So, speaking, speaking of transitioning,
0: before we get too far into any one given topic, it completely glossed over my mind, but something that we do on every episode of the podcast is a fit check. Just something you just tell us what you're wearing, we tell you what we're wearing, and then we sort of continue on about our day.
2: Um, but, Britt, what, do, what have you got on today? Well, let's see, man. Um, I'm wearing some Walmart uh, flops that cost about 12 bucks. I've got oh, yeah. some old uh, Bahamas short type of stuff. That they're like, I don't know, probably some sort of JCPenney thing. I've got a Boy Scout belt holding those shorts up because the shorts are like four sizes too big. And then I've got a Dickies. <laughs> well, here comes the good one. The only decent thing I got That's because I thought we were doing an actual video thing. I, I thought you just look at the upper part of me. So I didn't waste time on the bottom part. But I'm wearing a very nice denim shirt by Dickies Heritage line. And I was um, I, I actually provided them the inspiration for this shirt. It was one of my denim shirts, and they uh, I, I was working for a long time. Right when they started their archives there uh, with Anne Richardson from Dickies, so she's a friend of mine. And anyways we—we we, she gave me a whole bunch of these shirts, and they're great. Nice.
1: That's awesome. You got real like work from home outfit on then, <laughs> like uh, nice button up on uh, top, yeah. and then <laughs> yeah. the
2: yeah. flops down, you down below. There you go. There you go. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, I guess that's what everybody does these days with the with COVID and Zoom and all that, right? Yeah. You yeah. got to look decent for the – I wonder how many people just sit around completely naked except for their shirt, you know, and then they just have a little inside joke all day while they're at the office, you know?
0: I usually do. If I'm <laughs> working from home, I'll usually be in like a bathrobe and just with a T-shirt underneath. And then if I have a meeting, I'll pop off the bathrobe, take the meeting, bathrobe goes back on. That's it. That's
2: funny. Yeah. I love what it. What do you – is that well, what you Well, you got know, that's today? the thing about –
0: No, uh, I've got on very basic because it's hot and I had to do laundry today. I just have Patagonia baggy shorts and then an old T-shirt from a Pennsylvania fishing championship from like 1993 that I found. I thought was funny on eBay for like $6. Plus. Yeah, I'm a big fan of any any old fishing T-shirts. I don't know. I think they're great. Yeah. I had
1: one when I was
2: a kid. Um, What? No, you go. You're good. Yeah. Oh, I okay. was just saying, I had a, I, there were, I was, Um. I grew up fishing at the, like the Jersey Shore in uh, Long Beach Island in Beach Haven. And there was a tackle shop that said, kiss my bass, but the B was small. So it looked like it said ass, you know? And I got one of those shirts when I was like 10 and wore it to smithereens. <laughs> <you know? laughs> so, so I'm a fishing tackle kind of shirt guy, I guess, too. Um, nice. Yeah. Nice. That's the Saul special.
1: Yeah. Oh, always special. a fishing shirt. Yeah. Uh today I am wearing uh some waxed Rick Owens jeans, plain white t shirt, and then uh because I'm in my home, I am wearing crocs. Uh and I was previously wearing the like only piece of raw denim I still have left in my closet that is this like this like shirt that I'm hoping to destroy in the next year.
2: (laughs) Can I I tell you guys a little anecdote about Crocs?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
2: This actually is funny because I was actually going to ask you guys a question, but when Michael mentioned Crocs, it made me think of a different podcast that I heard the other day, and it was with Mike Judge, who's the creator of Beavis and Butthead, Silicon Valley, and he did the phenomenal movie Idiocracy, which is essentially what America has become in 20 years. And that's what Joe Rogan was asking him about. was like, how do you feel that your, you know, your movie you did in 2000 is now basically happening? Like everyone's so fucking stupid. And he's like, he goes, I know, I know, I know. He goes, I'll tell you the funniest thing is, and he said that they wanted the, the uh, Crocs had just come out and everybody. And, and, but, but nobody knew about him. Like somebody like, like somebody knew him and was like, Hey man, there's these really stupid shoes that came out. Crocs, And we should put all the people in the future wearing them. Like, people in the future are so dumb to wear these dumb shoes <laughs> and so they did so everybody's wearing crocs in the movie idiocracy no offense michael <laughs> no i i but then really crocs went huge like a,
1: yeah i remember when <laughs> and then crocs went
2: like big time yeah.
1: yeah i like also remember when crocs came out and i thought they were like the worst thing in the world <laughs> and i like yeah. constantly made fun of them and then a decade or two later and i just like that's the only shoes I wear in my apartment. I'd like they—they they
2: haven't seen the light of day. Don't get me wrong, but like, they're yeah.
1: really good house shoes.
2: I believe uh, you, man. I had some. I had a pair of Crocs. The only Crocs I've ever had, actually, they had uh, a fleece liner inside. They were like oh, Croc yeah. slippers. I had they were those. phenomenal. <clears throat> they were great, except they started smelling so horrible because the rubber sort of kept in the smell. Yeah, but you could remove. You could remove the fleece part and actually wash it. But, you know, that it was just so nasty. I, I eventually just I got rid of it. Yeah. But I was, was actually going guys... to ask
0: you guys. I used to wear my pair of swim meets, and so they just reeked of, like, fluorine Uh-oh. and, like, mildew because I would never dry them. They were just sort of, like, in a basement, and then I'd wear them to swimming, and then that'd be it. They were horrendous. I don't know why my mom let, let me keep them for so long.
2: Oh. What were you going to ask? I think that... that you're giving me an inspiration now. I have, like, this... I have this whole denim Olympics that's going on on the Festivus, like actual incredible shit. Like this this Tico Time Resort um, is like a Costa, Risa, Costa Rican kind of-esque experience in, in New Mexico. It's on this beautiful river. It's got this giant um, ropes course and it's got zip lines. It's got this giant tower that they blast fireworks off every Saturday night. I've seen three Grammy-winning bands play there in the last year. It's like the up-and-coming Coachella type of deal. But they also have a, a tower. They have a bungee jump station. So I'm going to have people like bungee jumping off the tower for Levi's, like all this great stuff. But one of the contests that you've just given me an inspiration for that I think I'm actually going to do it, because the second I think of something, I do it. My my quote that I, you know, that I if I ever was famous for one quote, my quote, the thing I want it to be would be, um, uh, <laughs> I can't remember my own quote. No, that would be a different one, but... Um, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, most people never act on the best idea they've ever had. So everybody in, everybody in the world, you know, has some sort of a good idea, right? There's like genius in the universe and it pops into people's heads and then they don't do anything with it at all. And so, you know, when I have an idea, even the good ones, the bad ones, shitty, whatever, I just do them all. And you've given me an idea. And the idea is to have a dirtiest jeans contest. At the Festivus, I'm gonna call it. I'm gonna call it the Mike and Saul Smith and Thompson, the Smith and Thompson (laughs) dirtiest jeans contest at the inaugural Durango Vintage Festivus.
0: We're gonna hold you to that. I I will absolutely hold you to that.
1: Actually, there was a time in my life I think I could have won that one. (laughs) I I used to work like construction, and I used to wear the same pair of jeans every single time I did it, and I just like never. You know, it's like uh, if I if I washed all the concrete off i was just gonna get more on them the next day so i tend to just like leave them
2: so have you heard of the guy um i don't know i haven't seen him around in a while but there was a guy that's like a contractor but he loves raw denim and his thing is working and workwear. do you know him working and workwear. oh it's like Instagram i've seen it. this guy before working yeah i don't know yeah but i think he just you know basically and, and have you guys heard of swiss jeans freak yeah okay that guy's crazy. I love that man. He's the most ama- I've no I've I don't never met him or anything but I've had a relationship with him since 1997. Whoa. He's unbelievable. He grew up yeah. in a village in Switzerland with 12 people in his village. He didn't even have power until like 1965. Like it's cr- like he was in some backwards place but anyway he has this insane denim collection. He was collecting like super destroyed denim long before anybody else and in fact that's why i met him i i I somehow met him on the internet the internet first was coming out you know and i sold him some really rough denim and you know my customers used to say to me that they came to me because because i was the only one like crazy enough to to get the really destroyed stuff because (laughs) i was just like a hoarder so i would just get the good the bad and the up you know so but hey i was gonna ask you guys something um and, and by the way, he'd be a great person for your, for your podcast. But my question to you is as podcast hosts, like what's the best um, person you've ever seen on a podcast be interviewed? Like, like the best person, not, not that you've necessarily done yourselves, but like, like on other podcasts that you've seen, like you've seen so-and-so, you know, and maybe your audience would be like, oh, I'm going to go, wow. You know, Saul recommends this one. Michael recommends this one. And I obviously have one in my head that I want to mention but I'll let you guys go first. What do what, what are you going to say, Michael? I'm
0: curious.
1: I'm trying to think. Uh, uh, it's probably a, a pair of King's guests from before I was a host.
0: Interesting. Really? Um, I think so. I want to know feel who like it is now.
1: Since I started uh, recording podcasts, I have stopped listening to them mm. because uh, I need to separate uh, work and pleasure. Sure. It might be... Uh, Honestly it, it might be Daniel. Um Okay. But he's just like a this is this is just our friend who like is a like a memer guy. Uh who's been on Pair of Kings. What would you say, Saul?
0: Uh there's a really funny British comedian named James Acaster. I forget what show he was on, but I listened to a podcast with him and like he's incredibly quick. Like Always has something funny to say, like incredibly, incredibly witty, just always on on the ball and like not sort of in an overbearing way. He's just really, really funny. Um, I like three years ago, it was what introduced me to him as like a comic. Might have even been like four years ago, sophomore year of college, but um, he's awesome. I would just say like anything with James Acaster. I can't remember off the top of my head what the podcast was, but him probably. Nice. Yeah. What about you, Brett? Uh,
2: um, well, I'm definitely going to look both of them up because, um, yeah, I drive a lot and uh, podcasts mm. are phenomenal for me driving. Um, and, uh, you know, just, just having something that, I mean, you don't even want to get where you're going. If you're listening to a good one that might be, you know, it, it kind of a thing. but <clears throat> for me, I, I, the, the one that, I mean, I have listened to, a lot of ones and a lot of them are just the same. Like you listen to like, if you listen to like, um, at first, I just listened to Bob Kirk mm-hmm. on like three different mm-hmm. podcasts. And he said basically the same stuff on all three podcasts. Like, yeah, it's the same exact yeah. stories over and over. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. a, so uh, but 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 I think that this guy that I'm going to mention, I honestly believe they could do a thousand podcasts with him. He would never say the same thing. I mean, it's David Lee Roth. And he did oh, on, yeah. on Joe Rogan, David Lee Roth. His his Joe Rogan podcast. I listened to it and then I listened to it again immediately afterwards because he's talking so fast. He's saying such insane stuff that makes total sense, and that you have to be like, "Wow, he's like on another. He's like on another dimension or another. He's definitely way advanced of me mentally. Like, I, 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 I he's just his life has been unbelievable. Like at his height of his fame, he quit everything, he changed his name, and went to New York, to Brooklyn, and he was a EMT in Brooklyn, Mike like he like shaved his head so nobody recognized him he was like one of the biggest rock and roll like recognizable stars at the time when he did it Mm. and then he got like a whole body tattoo from some japanese guy i mean the guys he's next level plus he's very um i think um environmentally minded as i am you know i I think he's just basically whacked, and he'll he'll say different things every every time i mean he joe rogan it's kind of like me like I have to consciously shut up to let other people have a, a chance to talk because I got so much <laughs> going on in my brain. But, but but Joe Rogan, you didn't even know you were listening to Joe Rogan. He didn't say anything. David Lee Roth just talked a non a full on stream of consciousness for like two hours. And at the end, he's like, "Oh oh hey Joe, you're here you're here." Uh oh shit, I, I forgot I was on your podcast. Oh yeah, I just think about that. It's awesome. That's that pretty great.
0: great. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. God. So, I have a few questions written up. I'm just still going to run through them. Um, I read that one of your earliest sort of huge scores within the the vintage denim collecting and, and discovery were, I think, either 30 or more pairs of pre-1910 Levi's. Um, has that sort of been like your biggest score to date? Have there been any sort of crazy crazy pickups um or finds that you've sort of had recently um and do you have any sort of stories about finding those um that you'd
2: be willing to share with us yeah um tell you it's really weird i mean i i when i first started doing this in like 97 i um i just i don't know if i had a dream or what but i always knew that one day if i just kept working hard enough like Mm -hmm. something Mm -hmm. massive would be out there like if you, if you do it enough, like one day you're going to stumble upon the great Holy Grail or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that for me was that, believe it or not, started when, uh, um, in like 2004, the mailman came in my store and I wasn't even in my store, but I happened to stop by because I saw the, 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 postal vehicle and I walked in and, the, and I got the mail. And as I was walking out, the, the mailman goes, well, he goes, hang hey, on, I've always wanted to meet you. And I'm like, oh yeah. And he's like, yeah, you know. Um, you know, I'm like, oh, thanks for delivering my mail, and he goes, he goes, yeah, but I, you know, he goes, I used to deliver in, um, I, he goes, I used to live in Reno, and my dentist uh, was a mine explorer, and he had all this cool mine stuff all over the wall, and I always thought, you know, he had old Levi's, you know, hanging on the wall and stuff, and he goes, I always, since you have a Levi's store, I always, um, you know, thought you'd want to know about this guy, and I'm like, yeah, thanks, man. So he told me about this guy named Lane Griffin. And at the time, we were developing a reality TV show. And so I brainstormed this idea to have, like, a. when I go to meet Lane for the first time, it's because I have a toothache, and I need to get my tooth drilled, you know? So the, the episode was going to be called Drilling for Denim, you know? So I, like, I'm sitting there, like, this is how I meet him, right? I go in, I, he's getting me, he's giving me the Novocaine, he's jabbing me with the big needle, and I'm like, oh, You got some old D-Boys over here. (laughs) Yeah. And so, but but I, on an unbelievable twist of fate, I never got around to that because I was still pitching the TV show. And by the time, uh, before I ever even got the TV show, before that happened, uh, a connection of mine called me up and had this huge lead from this guy in Nevada. And that turned into me buying the mine claim from Lane Griffin. And I got to know Lane Griffin. Um, and I, and I bought his claim and what it was, was a a full on, uh, an entire mining shaft that was 600 feet deep that they backfilled with trash. Like basically it was a hazard in the town and, and, and like the town was 20,000 people in this town at the time. And, and they said, Hey, listen, this, this is a big, this, this 600 foot hole in the middle of town's a hazard. Let's just throw our trash down there and fill up the hole. And so, you know, over a five-year period, they filled up a hole with trash, and Lane discovered it in, like, 1997 when he was on a geology expedition looking for some minerals. And, um, you know, I I ended up buying the rights to everything in there from them in, like, 2006, and I mined the place myself for, like, five years. And, and th- this is actually one of the things that I wanted to, it's like the, after this vice thing came out, there's all these people like, oh, you're taking heritage. Like, first of all, it's private property. Second of all, like half the stuff we found was literally completely rotted and wasted and wasted, you know? And then the other stuff was like a time capsule and it was in pretty good condition. But over time, it's going to rot. I mean, like literally, it's not like, um, it's not like it's a freaking, I don't know, an emerald that yeah. is going to sit there yeah. for a million years I- intact. And, and you know, this is stuff that we're actually preserving history. And I've donated to museums all across the country, well, across the Western states anyway. And so, like, I would have loved to be able to tell that story to some of these haters who they see you for one minute saying something like you found an old pair of jeans in the mine. Like, oh, that's destroying my history. That's taking our heritage. And I'm like, no, you idiot it's destroying your history is the government that you pay tax to and that government right now has a fund and that fund closes up mines blasts them shut for all eternity that's that's who you should be mad at not the guy who's going and trying to find a few um you know historical artifacts to preserve them in history yeah. yeah anyway so that was a, that was a pretty good score you know that the the financial boom and windfall off of that was epic I mean in the every sense of the word epic So, yeah, there was more like probably at least 100 pairs of 1890s to 1910 uh, jeans. Not all Levi's, but there was a lot of Levi's. And then, you know, 300, 400 shirts, probably 200 really cool jackets. I mean, just the most unbelievable thing. The only known black Levi's. Levi's didn't even know. Levi's did not even know they made black Levi's. The actual company Levi's, when I found these, filled in the blanks of history. They didn't know they made black Levi's until I found this pair of 1890s black Levi's. Wow. So, you know, I, I there's the only known to my knowledge, still the only, it's the only known black Levi's that weren't made, you know, post 1985, you know, that's crazy. They, they made them. Well, it's another thing I found once I found the pair of um, uh, jeans from about 1896 or 97 And they were the craziest gene. They were a one pocket denim pant and they had a wreath. They had the cloth patch label and it had the Olympic uh, circles on it, you know, the five or six circles, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And the brand was called the Olympic, the Olympic. And I thought, oh, that's a really cool brand. I've never heard of this brand before. But then I started looking and cleaning the buttons. I'm like, holy shit. These are actual Levi buttons all over, all around the waistband. And the rivets were Levi's, and the front buttons in the front were Levi's. So I started thinking, this is this is really really unbelievable. Well, we did a bunch of research, and now this pant is a very famous jeans. Like this is one of the most famous jeans ever discovered in the vintage denim world. And what it is is it's the only known brand, uh, uh, the only known pair of a brand called the Olympic that Levi's made when they re. You know, juvenated the Olympics after like a thousand or three thousand years from ancient Rome, they started the Olympics again in 1896, but a worldwide Olympics, you know, not just a Italian, you know, ancient Roman emper- Empire Olympics. And so I found the original one. So you know, to me, that's, that's the freaking that's what gives me the biggest when You find something awesome, and when I found that black jean, I was hanging on a rope 300 feet down in this mine shaft. I mean, with a freaking uh, a, a situation above me, that my mining partner, who's experienced than me, he had gone and scouted it out, and he came back up and he said, "I would not go down there for a gold bar," you know, like he wouldn't go down there for anything because it was so dangerous. But I was like, you know what? So basically, I don't know. I mean, I guess at the end of the day, I, I'm a little bit more crazy than other people, and. <laughs> I went back and while I was hanging on that rope, I, that's, that's when I found that, I mean, you have to imagine this, like uh, it's hard. It's hard. It's impossible to describe. I'm going to write a book about it, but basically I had like probably 20,000 pounds of, of uh, loose and volatile debris. That's a, that was like a blockage in the mine shaft that was hanging above me. And I had to repel underneath that. And at any time my rope, if it hits that blockage, it might, let the whole fucking thing out on top of me and bury me alive. And I, I did it. And I went down and and got those jeans. And uh, like I said, they were the only known black jeans. There was also the most unbelievable um, star button Wabash jacket, which is a stifle fabric with the boot on it. I don't know if you know much about that, but it's worth like 40,000 bucks now that jacket I, I sold it. I had it in my collection for a long time and I finally sold it for a huge amount of money. But But uh, but anyway, eventually when we when we went back, there was no way we were going to do the work we needed to do below the blockage that I was telling you about. With there was just no way to do it without getting killed. So when I went back, like the next time I went back, like three months later, this is also I swear to God, true story. You can't make this shit up. That's going to be the name of my book. You can't make this shit up. But. I was roped in, you know, with my harness and everything. And I repelled down and I was standing on top of the blockage. Now that I know that the blockage needs to be taken out, right? Like the only way we can work down below is to remove this blockage of like 20,000 pounds of shit. So I was roped in and I started jumping up on down on it. And I jumped up on down on it enough to dislodge it. And it came down in the biggest avalanche. And this, this, I got completely, it was like in a fucking blackout from the amount of dust and debris and everything that came back up after the blockage went down the hundred feet to the mine bottom. <laughs> so anyway, it was pretty crazy.
0: Holy cow.
2: Yeah. And then we're talking, Thanks. we're talking, I mean, I mined this place over like a six year period. Like, yeah. like all I thought about for six years was when I have, when I could make time to go back and mine it again and mine it again and my journals from that period i read my journals from that period and they are a complete reflection of my absolute acknowledgement of my mortality and how every one of these trips was more dangerous than the last one because of what we encountered in there and finally i know there's still a lot of great stuff down there but i mean there could be a million dollars more stuff down there honestly but there's Literally no way to get it out. I've talked to many experts. I had two construction crews come with me at different oh, actually over the six-year period, I had like four different crews come with me. And you know, I hired people with a winch and I had a whole team of guys. Then I hired contractors to um stabilize the mine so I could work in the mine. I mean, you know, it was a whole production, you know. But but it you know, it's funny is they did that TV show, Gold Rush Alaska, and yeah. like basically in that TV show. In the first season of that show, they're in Alaska for four months. There's like 10 different guys. They got $2 million. No, they got like $7 million of equipment, and they spend four months of their lives up there, and they found a total of $40,000 of gold in four months. And I don't want to talk too much about the financial stuff, but suffice it to say there were days – Days where I did way more than that in, in a day, you know, doing <laughs> what I was doing by myself, basically. So So
0: was that sort of experience of the floor was falling out, you had that blackout, one of the scariest experiences you've had sort of in a mine, like you know, this stuff can't be safe. I, I know I was watching on one of your Instagram stories maybe like a year and a half ago, but you found a bunch of like unexploded dynamite that was still active, right? In one of these mines.
2: Oh, that happens all the time in mines. Yeah. yeah I mean any anytime, I mean, anytime I go into a mine, there's like a very good chance of finding dynamite. And actually recently, not a video that you've seen because I, I never posted it, but recently I found a lot of dynamite that really did scare me because it was like it was not really that old. It was like 40s and 40s stuff could still be, you know, could be active and it don't, it doesn't take anything to set it off. So that's a whole nother danger that can happen in a mine. But but honestly, like the funny thing about the story I just told you, that isn't even, that isn't even anywhere close to the most dangerous thing that's ever happened to me in a mine. And the most dangerous thing that ever happened to me in mine was in that same mine. The way I found that there was that, we, th- the guys that I bought it from thought that the mine ended when that, where that blockage was, they didn't realize that the mine was way deeper than that blockage. They, they got to the blockage and then they stopped. They stopped going any deeper for me, I started digging around the block. It's just, I didn't even know it was a blockage, right? I just thought it was the bottom of the mine and I was digging and it was the only time I've ever been in there by myself. And the only time I've ever been in there with no equipment at all. And the reason I didn't have any equipment, I was traveling with a French journalist and he was doing a story on me. And, um, I, I specifically knew that he wasn't going to be a safe, a safety partner to be with. And yeah. I didn't want it. To- I knew we were going to be going through that part of Nevada and I didn't want to be tempted to go in that mine. So I left all my mining equipment at home, figuring if I didn't have my equipment, I wouldn't be tempted. But it's just like when I was addicted to chess and I freaking was so addicted to chess. I didn't do anything else in my life except play chess. And I finally ripped the floppy disc out and, I, I, I threw it in the trash and then right before the trash man came, I fucking dug it out of the trash. And then I, and then, then like a few months later, I, I took the floppy disc and I freaking like, I just destroyed it. I mean, just, just like made it in a little ball and threw it in the trash. But then a couple of days later, the trash man hadn't come and I went and got that floppy disc out. I flattened it out and tried it working again, man. And I was beating the computer at like level, you know, the the highest level on the computer. But so it's like that, you know, you got to know yourself. So in other words, when I went through the place, that town, even though I wasn't with a good mining partner, and even though, and he was up in the car, like hoping I wasn't dead, um, even though that was going on. And even though i left all my gear at home, I could not resist the 10. I'm like, I basically, I told myself, I'll just go in. I won't spend any time. I'll pick out a couple things and I'll start this trip off with, you know, five grand of profit basically, or or whatever, you know, whatever I could find, you know, a couple thousand dollars to, to offset the cost of the trip. But I went down there and I was digging around and, oh, it's again, one of these very hard things to explain, but just imagine if, you know, like right now your feet are on your floor of your house or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. Imagine if that, if what you think is a floor, is actually like there's a well underneath there. And it's an old abandoned cistern that's 150 feet deep, right? And you don't know this, but the floor that you're on right now is rotted. And at any minute, that floor could give way. That's essentially what happened to me. I was digging and digging and digging, and then all of a sudden there was like a, like a sand dial situation where all the dirt and stuff started going down this like hole, right? you know, right below me. And I'm like, huh. And I'd seen that happen up above in the mine. Cause there's this thing called compaction where the trash would compact and like, it would, it would like have like a little sand dial thing. And then it would drop down and there'd be like a, like a foot gap in the trash levels basically, because like somebody threw a chair down in 1905 and the chair got caught. And so the shit backed up above it, you know, and it created this compaction effect. So I didn't think much of it, but then it started going more and more, and finally, I'm like, this doesn't look right. And at the last fucking second, I was able to jump up and grab a beam. And the whole fucking floor dropped out and dropped 150 feet. And that was another one of those giant fucking back flushes of dust and dirt. And I was hanging on for my life over the abyss, man. And uh, that's a fucking true story, bro. Holy <laughs> and then wow. you just, just crawled out to the reporter covered in I dust. and like, out. Yeah. Yeah. And I I actually should mention another part of the story. That's the humorous part of the story is I wasn't just traveling with this French journalist. I was traveling with this delinquent English buddy of mine. That's a drinking friend of mine. And the three of us were on this trip and we just left LA and it was like the first day of the trip. Anyway, I'd left them at the car, like a mile from the mine. And the reason is, is it was at night when we got there and I didn't want anybody getting suspicious and like throwing a rock down the mine or something like that, you know? And, it kind of a thing. Anyway, so I would parked and I'd like snuck down to where the mine entrance was and I I repelled down into the mine all bomb. No, I didn't repel. I went down the ladders. So I didn't have any of my gear. There was ladders going down for some of it and then you start having to go down beams like a freaking fool. Anyway, so I come out. It's been like 4 hours. These freaking idiots have um with 10 minutes after i walked away in the desert like i literally left them in the desert they have no idea where they are it's pitch black it's at night and the wind is blowing like crazy and there's mines there's mines all over so there's there's literally open pits and like and holes and shafts like mine shafts that go a thousand feet deep all over so they can't walk around but they were drinking beer and they got out to take a piss 10 minutes after i left well, when I finally got out of the mine, I start walking, and as I'm, I'm hearing this noise, and I have to walk like a mile. And when I get closer, I'm like, "Oh, what the fuck is that?" I'm like, "Holy shit, that's a car alarm!" Anyway, these idiots had gotten out to take a piss. The wind blew the door shut, and then when they tried to open the door, it set my car alarm off. And the car alarm had been going off for four hours on these guys. In the <laughs> anyway, just another story. Just, a, just another day at the office. Just another day God, at the
1: office. It's crazy.
2: Yeah.
0: Looking back, are there sort of things, uh, you know, you, you said this earlier, but things that you really wish you hadn't let go, you know, you've donated things, and I think that's another, you know, can of worms, but are there, there one-of-a-kind, like, hyper-rare things that you said, you know, hey, I'm never going to find this again, I'm sad that this is sort of leaving my, my, uh, my collection?
2: Well, first of all, just to be honest, uh, I've never donated anything. Anything I really cared that much about. Yeah, like the museum cared way more about it than I than I did, or I wouldn't have gotten rid of it probably. But um, that being said, I am as I'm getting older, I'm donating more stuff all the time for tax purposes, and I have enough stuff that I could donate and offset my all my taxes probably if I just really got around to it. But yeah, uh, you know, man, I mean, I it's, one time I bought a pair of jeans for thirty five hundred bucks. I sold it a week later for 6,500. I started thinking about, about a year later. I was like, man, that jeans was awesome. I should buy that back. So I went to the guy, I bought it back from him for 9,500 and I owned it another year and then sold it for 12 grand. So, you know, like you, where do you get on the bus? You know what I mean? Like you get on the bus and then you get off the bus and sometimes you get back on the same bus and it's going the same direction. Cause it, and that's so, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, I guess like for Larry, Larry's not really a collector. He's a, he's, he's, he even says in interviews, he's a, he's a dealer. Like I'm mm-hmm. an actual collector. So when I, when I get rid of things, I guess it's because I don't feel like I need it in my collection anymore. I get rid of it because I found something else I like more. Um, not so yeah. much as I could sell it for, for a lot, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things. Oh God. Oh, I'm thinking of something right now. Yeah. There is one thing I sold that I, it was an unbelievable like 1903 levis um that that the guy was a painter and he, well anyway that see that thing on the wall right there yeah that's an overalls that was owned by the same original owner in the 1800s that's a that's a stronghold overalls that it's all painted and anyway the, the, i got a few pieces from this from this, this friend of mine who found him in an old house belonging to this old guy that was obviously a painter, like in the 1910s. Anyway, these Levi's, they're all painted, were phenomenal. They're actually, the, the jeans that are on my, uh, my the picture is on my Festivus, uh, like, uh, you know, brochure and stuff has the, mm-hmm. has those jeans. They're just, it's just, I just think they're an absolute work of art. They're, they're Levi's, which makes them really valuable. But then they're completely just covered in paint from 100 years ago, or 130 years ago now. Mm-hmm. So I wish I hadn't sold them, but they went out the door because it was a whole collection of stuff I was selling to one guy. It was a Bitcoin guy and he traded out his Bitcoin for cash. He had to fly in on a plane to Manhattan. I, I, he flew me over to meet him in Manhattan. And then we went to the place where he got his Bitcoin out. It was very shady. <laughs> and, I, and I got a lot of cash. <laughs> so you know, I came back to Colorado with like a hundred grand cash and also a big hangover.
0: Just like in a duffel bag
2: no you know a 100 grand it's funny it doesn't take up much space at all you'd be really surprised you could put a 100 grand almost in like a big fanny pack and so i know you're a fanny pack type of guy so i I actually had a deal where i had to bring a guy a quarter million dollars in cash a couple years ago in la to buy a whole collection of stuff and he would only take cash and i could fit it all in a small backpack believe it or not i was like bricks of money it, but basically when it's brand new money, it's like when you're getting it right from the bank, it's like really it's 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 not bulky at all. Actually, it's, it's it's heavy is what it is. In fact, my backpack of cash was so heavy, it pulled me over. I bent down to pick a freaking beer can up that I dropped and 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 the weight of the backpack fucking decked me and I went right on the ground. Uh, I had to meet the Brinks truck at the bank and uh, go in the vault. They, it turns out banks don't carry that much cash. So they have to order the cash, believe it or not. I, I never knew that. But um, when you, when you order a quarter million dollars cash that you have to meet the bank there or the the truck, the armored car. And then I went into the, uh, the vault and did the deal, got all the money, put it in my backpack, went to the airport put the 250,000 cash through the security, the security people just looked at me like, what the fuck? And I showed them the, I showed them the pictures I took in the bank vault, like an hour earlier and said, listen, I am making it. This is all legitimate. You know, I'm buying these jeans from this guy in LA and dah, 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 And then I went out there and and did the deal. It was actually a half a million dollar deal. And uh, the deposit was the court was actually 300,000, but we'd already given him 50,000. This is I love it. I, mean, I love it. Sounds, I, the viewers it can't like see a... this. But Saul looks like he's catching flies right now. Your mouth is just gaping wide open, like in disbelief.
0: This sounds and you know, like by the way, remember gems. before
2: remember before I said you can't make this shit up? I was yeah. lying. Like it's all made up, man. <laughs> it's all made up. We do love lying. Lying yeah, is fun. It's
0: a really good time.
2: Yeah. Lying and swearing on the old uh, podcast here. So yeah. we do. Well, um, I've said a lot. Um, can we uh, kind of wrap this program up, or how you guys got, got more questions we got to hammer out, or Absolutely. how we go
0: We got we got one more. Michael, do you want to ask it? We ask it every every <laughs> guest of the podcast. We got to bring you into the loop somehow, so we got to uh, ask you the question.
1: Yes, the 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 recurring theme. Uh, so, Britt, if you had uh, one year to eat a door, hinges, doorknob, nails, everything, could you do it, and how?
2: why would i want to eat a door
0: <laughs> that's not part of the question it's could you do okay, it
2: like my life depended on it you mean like uh yeah. Yeah, it what you depended will. on eating the door um well are you allowed to burn it seems like you know what i used to do actually Anything you want i used to win a lot of money have you ever done the saltine cracker trick
1: yeah that's yeah. someone
2: they can't eat like 10 saltines in a minute Everybody thinks it's really easy. You just say, Oh yeah, but you can't eat these 10 saltine crackers in a minute without any water. And they go, Oh yeah, I can do that. And nobody can do it. It's like impossible. Right. Yeah. So I don't think I could do the door thing. And actually that door is pretty cool right there. That's a custom like Spanish style door in my Spanish style house. I, I, it was an expensive deal. My, actually my hockey friend, uh, is a phenomenal carpenter and he built that for me. That's crazy. Yeah. But you wouldn't need it. So I don't think I could do the door, but I do appreciate the question. I'm sure you get some really uh, random responses to the door, you know?
1: It's nice to hear strategies. I think everyone approaches it in a different way.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's always a good time. All right. All right. So, and then as Rick, a
1: closer.
0: Yeah. As a closer, we got song of the week, just something you've been listening to and enjoying. we throw it on a big playlist with all the other songs of the weeks from the season of the podcast. Um, you can find it if you just spell pair of Kings, semicolon pair of Kings. Um, or I'm sorry, colon, not semicolon. Um, and just replace all the I's with sevens. Uh, you can find the whole playlist there. But Britt, what's something you've been listening to, um, recently and have been
2: enjoying? Um, I've really been going into the early Bob Marley stuff. I'm reading the life of Bob Marley. It's called uh, Catch a Fire. It's the most unbelievable biography I've ever read in my life. Like hmm. you're like 200 pages in before Bob Marley even makes like an appearance, like it's all about the history of Jamaica and why Bob Marley was who he is and colonialism. And it's just fucking, it's like a history book is what it is, but I'm going into the early Bob stuff and there's a song called city hypocrites. I think it's called city, city hypocrites. And it's just freaking awesome, man. It's really, really great. Um, And you know, I love Bob Marley. And I'm also listening to some Yusu Nador, who's a, I believe Senegalese, um singer and he's just phenomenal beautiful voice he did a lot of collaborations with peter gabriel over the years
0: mm. nice. i haven't been able to find city hypocrites on spotify which is i, know, I think it's uh, just it really hypocrites. Yeah,
2: is it it might just be called hypocrites but it's but you know that's what's so interesting about the Bob I should just if you go to this book, okay? If you get ever get this book, it's called Catch a Fire. Like the last 30 pages of the books are dis- discographies and it's all the different oh. Bob Marley like for instance there's like there's like a couple Bob Marley songs that there's like 20 different version of the song Like, it's so weird. Like, the song changes when he does it in 1965, and then when he does it again in 1980, it's like a different song, but the same name. I mean, it's just some weird, weird stuff. So I think it's called Hypocrites, and it's Marley, and it's early. Mm -hmm. And I also love Rainbow Country, which is another real early Bob Marley song, Rainbow Country. That's a phenomenal one. I mean, I love them all. I mean, the guy never wrote a bad song. I mean, the guy, he's just an absolute genius is what he is. What about you, Michael?
0: What have you been listening uh, to?
1: I've been obsessed with this song called Home by Two Shell. Taking this in a very different direction. It's like a kind of hyper pop song. Cool. Which is not my usual, but someone sent this to me and I've been listening to it a lot.
0: Nice. Um, I've been listening to a ton of Beach House because I've been driving really late into the night. Um, It's kind of like a nice time of year for really late night drives. Um, It's kind of like nice sort of laid back music. Kind of sad and melancholy, but it's nice. Uh the song that I will recommend is lazuli from their album Myth, uh, which is a really good album. Yeah. Nice. Cool. That's All awesome. right. Well, without further ado, Britt, before we get going, you're the the floor is yours. Take, you know, one minute, two minutes, however long. Just tell the people where they can find you, plug Festivus one more time. Oh, um, yeah. you know, the floor is yours as you would like to do with it.
2: Awesome, man. Well, um, Yeah. So, uh, thank you guys. This has been fun. You know, um, hope people enjoyed it. (laughs) Uh, I, I think the festival is going to be one of the the greatest things ever. I'm hoping that it'll 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 be something that'll be an annual thing. It was actually hatched originally with um, a guy named Brent Underwood, who's the guy that got stuck in the ghost town in Cerro Gordo. You should look this guy up. He's got a TV thing on YouTube called Ghost Town Living. But him and I were talking about doing a actual in order to raise money for his for his uh, for his ghost town and for the restoration of it. We talked about doing a um, like an annual. A denim hunting contest where teams like me and my friends go and some of the other people that are real big denim hunter guys, you know, like in Michigan or whatever, they come out and they have a team. And then we actually legitimately go explore this guy's minds and whoever gets the best denim treasure over the weekend gets to keep it and also gets a prize. And then he gets to keep all the cash that each team, this was my idea actually, but he loved the idea, but he, he, his road just got blown out in a big thing they had there. He's got seven miles of road missing. Anyway, bottom line is that um, the Festivus we, I could see it moving locations, you know, possibly like where we, where we we go to some other cool location in a year from now and then it could be a mobile deal. I don't know. Or we do it the same place or it's a bomb and, and, and you know, it sucks. I don't know. But it's it's good. It's not going to be that. It's going to be amazing. Just the just the denim. The First off, on Friday, there's all these denim contests, you know, like with prizes of ancient, like buckle back Levi's for a prize. And I'm trying to get some sponsors still, um, you know, to, to give real like amazing prizes. Like you win a new car or something, <laughs> you know, I don't know. That probably won't happen, but, um, and then it, on, on, and then there'll be people with pop-up tents on Friday too. There's going to be like a lot of vendors that are like younger, like vintage guys that are coming down from like Denver and Colorado Springs. And they're bringing like pop-up tents and they'll be selling stuff like all weekend at the campgrounds there. So it'll be like a flea markety kind of vibe there and then Friday night is um, a movie premiere called The Denim Hunter. It's a movie I've been involved in six years. It's a Swedish film about a friend of mine named Victor Friedback, who's this just crazy denim. Cl- he's kind of like that Swiss jeans guy, Swiss jeans freak we are talking about. Except he's mm-hmm. he's he's like next level. He's, his his collection is one of the better collections in the world of of early like eighteen uh, hundreds denim. So I've known Victor a long time. So the movie's about him, and it's really. Hysterical! I am telling you, this movie is, is the funniest freaking thing you ever seen. Like, uh, like I send, I, I basically in the movie sell Victor a gold mine, and I give him some llamas, and he goes up into the mountains to try to find the mine, and he gets royally lost, almost freezes to death, which is like there's a lot of truth in this and a lot of uh, fiction as well mixed in. So it's like part reality, it's like a reality concept with uh, a lot of bullshit in there too. and then and then Saturday is the actual main event of the Festivus we have like 70 dealers coming from all over the country and a few people coming from Japan we got a guy from France we got Victor who's from Sweden and some other people coming and and everyone's going to be bringing their top collections that goes all day Saturday then Saturday night we're having a live auction as of this moment right now we already have two pairs of 1800s Levi's Eighteen hundreds Levi's that are going to be in the auction. There's only like 10 pairs known on the planet and we've got two of them in this auction. Um, and then we also have like 30 or 40 other pre-1940s jeans. We've got incredible Navajo rugs, jewelry, um, uh, signs. we got some really phenomenal like early Carhartt signs and things like that. That's going to be on uh, Saturday night. That auction will also be live streamed and you can find out all this information are at, uh, at Durango vintage Festivus. F-E-S-T-I-V-U-S, at Durango Vintage Festivus. And then Sunday, there's like an Ask the Experts panel with a bunch of friends of mine, and we're going to sit up there on a stage and tell stories, and and people can ask us questions and stuff. Because, you know, bottom line is, if you can do this business and work for yourself and not have to, you know, you know, freaking clock in every time or whatever, man, it's a pretty great lifestyle business, is what it is. I have like two I said before, things you don't have to be a genius head. to do it.
0: You know? If you if you're doing this series where you're competing going down into these mines, you have to record it. I know the guy has a YouTube channel, but you have to. I mean, that, that'd be incredible, um, and I think people would love it, just sort of with the the scope of YouTube as it is. But then I'm also surprised you haven't sent these buckleback Levi's to a place like Sotheby's. They seem like they'd be like a real like, you know, somebody's gonna buy them and just frame them and put them in a museum or something. That's that's a you know, it's like a piece of American. You know what? I
2: mean, you know, it's definitely okay, so the the one pair of them is mine and the other pair is a friend of mine's. The -hmm. one that's mine, I don't want to sell it. I've never wanted to sell it. The only reason I'm selling it is because I'm trying to, I mean, just just full on trying to build publicity and promotion for this event because not necessarily because I'm, you know, want everyone to come for me there. I've got people's money that have paid that are vendors that have paid to come to this event. And Mm -hmm. I owe it to them to, uh, you know, promote this event and selling these jeans is an insane way to promote the event. And you know what? Somebody might end up buying it for 50,000 or 100,000, and they might bring it over to Sotheby's and put it on the world market in a bigger auction house and double that. I mean, I just heard about a jacket that got sold for 120,000 my friend sold it for 50 and it went for 120 to some chinese collector cuz now the chinese are rich and they're into this stuff and the malaysians are rich and they're into this stuff and the koreans and the freaking thai have always been into it and of course the japanese were like the pioneers of it but the point is is that there's collectors all over the world and and it's a great place to park your money i mean oh that's some thunder like anyone watching this you know that isn't in the vintage business, but you've got some pocket cash, put 10 grand in a pair of Levi's, you know, ask somebody that knows what they're doing, Help get them to help you make an uh, you know assessment on the jeans, buy them for 10 grand. It's a great investment. That, that's how I've been doing it for 15 years. I've been finding out, you know, I generally find out when a nice piece comes on the market and then I invest in it at whatever price that, you know, the market price is then. And guess what? It's done really well for me because generally speaking, denim goes up like 20% a year. So, yeah.
0: yeah. Some solid advice to close it out. Well, thank you again, Britt. It's been absolutely wonderful talking to you. As always, everybody, thank you for listening. Uh, this has been the Pair of Kings podcast. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok at Pair of Kings pod. Uh, you can email us with any business inquiries at Pair of at gmail.com. Um, be sure to DM us, uh, join the discord. Um, if you'd like to join the Discord, just message us or send us your favorite pair of vintage jeans. Um, thank you again to Britt. This has really been wonderful. As always, I'm Saul. You can find me on Instagram at Saul Thompson. I'm joined this week by my
1: co-host. Michael Smith. You can find me on Instagram at, at underscore Smithstagram.
0: And one more time by Britt. You can find him on Instagram at OriginalIndianaJeans. Um, you can find his two sort of offshoot accounts, um, carpet denim sales and the Vintage festivist accounts through that. Uh, this has been the Pair of Kings podcast where we're bringing you business as usual, tomfoolery as planned, once a week, every week for the foreseeable future. Take care, everybody, and have a great Thursday. Goodbye.
2: Thanks, guys. I love the tomfoolery, and it's at Durango Vintage Festivus.
1: <laughs> Hell
2: yeah. <laughs>